boy, it seems like it's everywhere. So we are, uh, we are praying for our firefighters, aren't we, who put themselves in harm's way all the time. And it has been quite a season. But it looks like we're uh, at least getting on the other side of that, which is, which is great. We give thanks to God for that. Well, it was a year ago that I was with you, and we blessed and affirmed Nathan and Kelsey and gave thanks to God for his call on, on their lives and for his provision for you as a church family. And it's been a great year, hasn't it? You must be really be missing your pastor after three weeks. My goodness. So he's, uh, he'll, he'll be back next week. But I am just so pleased. It's, been a, it's just been a joy for me to get to know Nathan and Kelsey. Maybe you know that they came to our, uh, our pastors and spouses retreat over on the central coast of California. And we just had a great time getting to know them better in that place as well. And I am just delighted when I hear of how the Lord has been at work in your congregation and just the beginning of this new relationship. Well, I guess he's not so new anymore, but your relationship with your pastor. I am just so grateful to God for that. So I just, I just want to, before we get into God's word and, uh, and open it together, and I just want to thank you for your partnership with us. You're, you're part of an association of churches, a family of churches, we call the Pacific District Conference, and together we are in ministry, and we're on mission together. We're helping churches get healthier, and that's part of what we do together. When one part of the body is hurting, then we all rally together, and we help get that part of the body stronger. So we want all of our churches to be as healthy as they possibly can. And then we're, uh, we're about leadership development. We want to we bless and encourage the next generation and, and have them, help them to lean into God's call on their life and see God raise up young men and women into leadership in the church and mission and, and in the world. And so that's part of our ministry as well. A big part of that is, uh, is our partnership together with Fresno Pacific University. And so uh, Dale Bowes and I serve together on the board of trustees of Fresno Pacific, and he keeps threatening that uh, one of these years, he's after many decades of service, that he's maybe not going to do that anymore. But I won't let him because if he's not there at the board table at Fresno Pacific, that means that I'm then become the longest tenured board member and I'm just not quite ready for that yet. So, Dale, you just got to keep going a little bit longer, but appreciate you and, and the ways that you serve in our family. Um, and then we're about church planting. So you, you get to hear uh, new news about our latest church plant. Um, can you imagine a community of 12,000 people where there's no evangelical church? No evangelical church. I know that sounds like a small town and all, but in many communities around our nation, a town of 12,000 people would have any number of churches. But a community of 12,000 people where there's no evangelical church, and that's Stansbury Park, Utah, about 30, 30 minutes from downtown Salt Lake City is Stansbury Park. And we have a new church planting couple that later... Uh, in a few months, probably in early 2019, they're going to launch a new church there in Stansbury Park, Phil and Melissa Weeb. And they have, 
been in Utah. They've been in the greater Salt Lake area for more than a decade. And they have just fallen in love with that, with that community and believe they're on mission to reach people for Jesus in that part of the world. So they have stepped out in faith. They've left a very comfortable and thriving ministry. And they are going to, like I say, step out in faith And they're going to plant a church from pretty much nothing. They've got a few core members and a few people who are excited about it, but they're going to be starting. And I would just appreciate your prayers and your support for for this new mission that you're a part of because you're part of our larger association of churches. And so when, when the Lord prompts you, pray for Phil and Melissa and for our new church that's going to be started in Stansbury Park, Utah. I appreciate that very much. Well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. And we're going to do something that uh, pastors are not supposed to do. And we're going to look at the entire chapter of Acts chapter 4. Don't get nervous, because we're going to go pretty fast. So hang on as we discover... What, uh, what the Lord did in his early church and what the Lord 2,000 later wants to continue to do through his church. In order to understand Acts chapter 4, you have to understand really what's happened just previous. Uh, Jesus has ascended back to his Father. He breathed out his Holy Spirit on, on his disciples and they're continuing his ministry and mission in that first century context. And what's happened is uh, his disciples are just carrying on and continuing the work that Jesus did with his Holy Spirit's empowerment. Uh, Peter and John one day are, are going up to pray. It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 3. And they discover that there's a man there at the, at the entrance. He's been taken there by some friends and he's, he's doing what he's done for, for many, 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 many years. He's He's there to hold out his hand and to ask for some generous support from people who are going to to meet God and pray to God so that he can sustain his life because he's been crippled since birth. Maybe you remember this story recorded for us in Acts chapter 3. And so he reaches out his hand to Peter and and John and and he's asking for, for their financial support this person in need, and here's what they say. We don't have any silver, and we don't have any gold, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you what we do have, so in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And so this man, crippled since birth, 40 years old, gets up and walk, and the scriptures tell us he went walking and running and jumping and leaping around in the temple courts and praising God Because God's power was made known in that moment in his life. It's the power of God revealed. It's a miracle of God. And you can't deny it. I mean, that is an unmistakable move of God. Now, this is Kingwood Bible Church. You're still called Kingwood Bible Church, right? You still got that Bible part in there? That means that what happened back there in the first century, is still possible today. Can anybody say amen? So Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that that same power that was manifest in the early church is still available to his church 
today. So we pray and we invite Jesus through his power, the power of the Holy Spirit to touch people. We pray for people who are hurting. We pray for people who are in need. And we invite God's power to be known in our midst. What we discover in Acts chapter 4 is that there are other ways that God displays his power. Healing a man crippled since birth, that is a powerful display. But God displays his power in other ways as well. And so as we walk through Acts chapter 4 together, we're going to see five ways that God uh, that God displays his power. And so let's just start in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they seized Peter and John. Because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So it wasn't being offensive to women and children back in the day, but they, they were counting the heads of households. They were counting the men. And so you can imagine that those who believed, the number was larger than just 5,000. But this is God's power on display. And what is it? It's the power of God's word boldly proclaimed. What led the church to grow in that great and miraculous way? It was the proclamation of the message of Jesus, the message of the resurrection. Did you see what they were supposed to stop doing? They were supposed to stop proclaiming the message of the resurrection. That Jesus lived, he taught, he died on the cross, he was buried... But on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And that is the proclamation of the church that's ongoing that by being being saved by Jesus, by being in relationship with him, that we too can enjoy that same experience he experienced one day, that we will enjoy life eternal with him resurrected one day. And that's the hope of glory. And, And that was the message interesting, isn't it? That that it wasn't just the crippled man being healed. It wasn't just um, all these people receiving some sort of touch and some sort of miraculous healing. It was a response to the message that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is risen from the dead, and that you too can be alive in Christ today. That's the power of God's word when it's boldly communicated. And the the officials, they said, now you need to stop proclaiming this message. But they couldn't stop because they were eyewitnesses. They had seen it, they had heard it, and they weren't going to stop. As I've I've heard about your your pastor and, and his ministry here, well, I know it's been your commitment for many, many years. But it's just... It's just great to hear that, you know what, Pastor Nathan, he he preaches the word. He opens this ancient book, and he doesn't shrink back from communicating what this book teaches. Now, that's a good and a godly pastor, isn't it? Now, sometimes he probably preaches some things and says some things that, oh, I wish he wouldn't say things like that. 
Because you know what? He's here, to, he's here not just to encourage you, but to correct and rebuke and encourage. And that's what, that's what God's word does. And so when it's taught faithfully and accurately, and, and when you have a pastor who comes at it humbly, isn't that just a joy? Isn't that just a delight to have a pastor who's not afraid to, shrink, to, to proclaim God's word boldly? That's great. Thank your pastor when he preaches a hard word to you. Say, thanks, pastor. That really hurt. But I want to say thanks for doing that. Thanks for being faithful. You know, when God's word is communicated, uh, when God's word goes out, or we're told that it won't, be, it won't come back void. We're part, of a, we're, part of a, we're part of a family of churches that is absolutely committed to mission, locally, nationally, and globally. And part of our, part of our mission story is what's happening in Southeast Asia among the Camus people. Uh, the Camus people uh, have a long history of being mistreated in Laos. Um, long story short, 800 years was the result of, uh, from the result of an act of treachery. They were chased up into the mountainous regions in Laos and trying to farm. They're the poorest of the poor. And they'd always been told by, by those in their cultural context that they were nothing, that they were nobody, that they were the lowest of the low. But what happened? Some, uh, some folks went and they, they taught the scriptures and they proclaimed the message of Jesus and the message of resurrection. And you know what happened? They believed. They came to faith. And they saw God's power unleashed in their midst. And they got a new identity that we're no longer, we're no longer what our culture and our society tells us we are. We are children of the living God. We're saints. We're heirs. And that message continues to go out. We, uh, we can buy them, uh, for $600, we can buy them a motorcycle. And, and we train these, uh, these workers, these pastors, and they go up into the mountainous regions and like a page from the book of Acts, they proclaim the message of Jesus and people come to faith and the communist officials tell them to knock it off and stop and they throw them into their version of prison, which is basically a hole in the ground. And they come out and they tell stories of God's faithfulness and, and being attended to and, and, and the word continues to be proclaimed and more and more people come to faith in Christ even though they're, they're told to stop. It's the power of God's word communicated boldly. If we're going to get through this, I really have to keep moving. The second display of God's power is the power of humble submission to the lordship of Christ. The official said to stop preaching. But then Peter, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men and women by which we must be saved. It's the power of humble submission to the Lordship of Christ. Look, Peter and John, this is an extraordinary miracle. 
I, I mean, they prayed a prayer, and this man, crippled since birth, got up and walked. And there was every opportunity for pride. Every opportunity to say, oh, look at us, and look what we did. Do you see what they did? They gave all the glory to Jesus. They gave all the glory to Jesus. And this, and this amazing statement, salvation is found in no one else. So it's not about us. It's not about our leadership. It's not about anything other than the name of Jesus. And he's the only way to salvation. It's the power of humble submission to the Lordship of Christ. So they voluntarily submitted themselves to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And God used that. How we long for humble, godly servant leaders. And when we find them, we rejoice, don't we? We can, we can tell, can't we? When someone says, it's all about me, without saying it in so many words, but when you get the impression, it's all about me. But isn't it refreshing? And isn't it life-giving? And isn't it God-glorifying when you can submit yourself to leaders who say, it's all about Jesus. We're his under-shepherds. We're pointing people to Jesus and not to ourselves. Isn't that a wonderful thing. I wonder what would happen if, uh, if we would submit ourselves humbly before Jesus and say, it's all about you and it's not about us. It's all about Jesus, what you want in your church, not about what my preference is. Jesus, it's all about me laying down my rights and what I think I need, and it's all about you and your glory. Uh, what a privilege it was for me last Sunday to, uh, to bless and affirm, as I did with you a year ago, another one of our pastors in another of our churches. Um, it was a great day to, to begin his ministry in that church. That church had been through a rough time previously. They'd had a pastoral relationship, and, uh, and it didn't end very well. And there was a lot of hurt and a lot of brokenness, really hard feelings. And that had persisted for a long time on both sides, people in the church and that former pastor and, and really just hanging on to, to that hurt and that pain because it was real. Hurt is real and it impacts us. That pastor uh, ended up with a... Uh, a cancer diagnosis a couple of months ago and went really fast. I was able to visit him. It was the last time I, I saw him. He's with Jesus now. But I went to visit him. And you know what? In God's sovereignty, I was about 20 minutes into this visit with, with, my, with the former pastor and then the new pastor of this church comes to visit him and so we're there together, the three of us, for another 25 minutes or so. It was powerful. Holy moments. We talked about things together that were absolutely amazing and inspiring and God-honoring. But one of the things that former pastor who'd been hurt so deeply said to us is, he said, uh, I've been hanging on to this far too long. 
and I've got to let it go. And I'm going to let it go. I have. By the grace of Jesus, it's done. It's finished. It's covered. It's gone. I've forgiven. And I want you to communicate that. I want you to tell the people that I have let it all go. And it's all forgiven. And I'm, and I'm done carrying that grudge, that hurt, and that pain. So last Sunday, we got the new pastor. We're installing him in the church. And I'm able to say that to the, to the church family. And it was just such a, it was such a joyous time to be able to receive, for the congregation to be able to receive that grace. To say, we can move on into the future without having that baggage on our back. It's the power that happens when people voluntarily submit themselves to the way of Jesus and follow his, and follow his path and follow his leadership and his lordship. Verse, 10, verse 13 says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And this I've just identified as the power of the ordinary faithful. The power of the ordinary faithful. They were unschooled and ordinary. They were not on a leadership pathway. But God, in his wisdom, chose unschooled and ordinary people to turn the world upside down, to be the leaders, the first leaders of his church. Now, um, I've had opportunities uh, and been privileged to, uh, to receive education. And that's a great gift in my life. And I'm not putting down education. I think education is the greatest pathway toward a better life for our society. Uh, so I'm not putting down education. But we should take note of this. That, uh, that they saw their courage, number one, but it wasn't because of their education. It wasn't because of their pedigree. It wasn't because of anything they brought to the table. It was because they humbly submitted themselves to the lordship of Jesus and God empowered them for their assignment. I think there's something for us today. Um, the power of Jesus flowed through them. Just a couple of ordinary men. And maybe you're tempted to say, oh, you know, pastor, oh, elders, I, I, don't, think I, could, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could serve in that way. I don't think I'm, I've got enough giftedness. I don't think I'm talented enough. I don't think I'm well-spoken of, uh, well-spoken. I, I just don't think, there are other people who can do it better than me. And I just encourage you, never say that. Never say, I'm not good enough. Because God uses the ordinary and God uses the weak things for his glory. And God can use, do extraordinary things through you and through this church. Don't ever underestimate the power of God to do mighty and great things through people who might think they're weak and insignificant. Well, one of my privileges... Uh, a couple of years ago, was to be able to go to one of our uh, uh, global consultations. So I 
reminded you that we're a missionary people, that we're, that we're a people on mission globally. And so it was terrific to bring people from all over the world to gather together in Thailand for a consultation. So we have people from India and Africa and, uh, and Southeast Asia and North America and, and South America from all over the world. Representatives gathered. There were about 250 of us gathered together there in Thailand. And we sat mesmerized when we heard Safari's story. Um, Safari's in Malawi. Uh, There was nothing particularly significant about Safari's life. He was just an ordinary member, uh, a young man growing up in a a family there in Malawi. Um, His father uh, was murdered, and he knew who had ordered the murder. It was a government official. He didn't actually carry out the crime, but, but he had ordered it. And Safari knew about this. And as you can imagine, I mean, it was a traumatizing thing that happened to him and to his family. And for a while, he was just absolutely filled with rage toward this person. But after he came to faith, after he studied the scriptures... After he was confronted with the way of Jesus, the way of, the way of grace, the way of love and forgiveness, eventually he did what my pastor friend I described did. He let it go. And he was able to, he was able to release him. He came across that official one day. He met him. He locked eyes with him. He said, I know what you did. Say, I know you ordered the murder of my, my, my father. But he said, I want you to know that I've forgiven you. I want you to know why I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and he's my leader. So he leads my life. So I just want you to know that, that even though you did this to my father and to our family, I've forgiven you. Well, that official went on his way but couldn't get that, commun- that, that conversation out of his head and came back and said, tell me more. Tell me more about this because this doesn't make sense. And they started to study the scriptures together. That official eventually came to faith in Christ. So Safari leads a, a network of church planters there in Malawi. Uh, more than 3,000 people gather under his uh, under his covering, and, and so he teaches and trains these church planters that go out in the various communities. There, there must be 25 or 30 of them by now, and this government official is one of them. He's now one of the pastors leading a, leading a faith community under, his, under Safari's authority in that part of our needy world. And that's the power of God using ordinary people when they submit themselves, when we submit ourselves to his leadership and his lordship. And then we see, uh, we see what happens when, when these followers of Jesus are threatened and when they're afraid. And it's the power of prayer when we're threatened and when we're afraid. Uh, they threw Peter and John into prison. That was, that was the pattern and then they released them. 
And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and they reported everything that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when the people heard this, they raised their voices in prayer together in prayer to God. And here's what they prayed. Sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. So just in terms of context, they were throwing those early apostles into into prison, and they were threatening them, And these were the same people who had led the crucifixion of Jesus and they could certainly, they could certainly lead the execution of of Jesus' followers as well. So this was a very real threat. And what did they do when they were threatened? When they were afraid, they were filled uh, filled with fear. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they reminded themselves of the sovereignty of God that there are kings and kingdoms, that there are nations and there are, there are presidents and prime ministers and all. But God is on his throne. And ultimately, God is sovereign and God is leading even when we're threatened, even when it's hard, even when there's pressure, even when, there are, uh, there's, uh, even when they're saying that you have to stop proclaiming this message of the gospel. We can't stop. We must not stop. Why? Because God is sovereign and God is leading and ultimately he is in control and he will be our defender and our protector. So they prayed. I understand you have a Wednesday evening prayer gathering. It might just be the most important meeting of the week in the life of your church because prayer reminds us of our dependence on God. And it reminds us that God's in control, even when it looks like he's not. Prayer reminds us of God's sovereign authority in the life of his church, in our lives as individuals, and in our nations, and in our world. God is sovereign, and God is in charge. And they needed to remind themselves of that. And so they gathered together, and they prayed. Lastly, and this is big, because this really is, I think, why the church grew, why the early church grew. It's the power of a new community. In verse 32, now all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them from time to time. Those who owned land or or houses sold them, brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. 
and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. This is the power of a new community. It's one thing to to see a a miracle, a a man crippled since birth, a 40-year-old man, a prayer prayed, and that person get up and walk and leap and praise God. That's one thing. That's an amazing miracle of God. But what I've just described that happened in the early church and can happen again today is also a miracle of God. It's when people who are accustomed to doing this with their resources, with their money, with what they have, do this. Now, that's a miracle of God. When God changes a human heart, when God in his grace says, you are forgiven and free. I want you to be part of my family. I love you so much. I sent my son. I gave that much to you so that you could be part of my family. When people get that, how dearly loved they are. Friends, do you get that, how dearly loved you are, how cherished you are by Almighty God? When people get that, how much God gave and did that, And when that really grips them and impacts them so that they too do this with their time and their their gifts and with their resources. Now that's a miracle of God. And when you see it, when we see it, we should give thanks to God for his power at work. Imagine the rich and the poor in the same church, the educated and the uneducated, in the same church, black and white, in the same church, old and young, in the same church, Republican and Democrat, well, now I've crossed the line, haven't I? You get the picture? They were so committed to each other because they had experienced the transforming power of God and his grace. They loved one another because they had been loved by Almighty God. And that changed the world. It absolutely transformed the world. And I think this is why the church grew even more than men crippled since birth being healed. I think this is what fueled the growth of the first century church. And you know what I think? You know what I believe? I believe this too can fuel the renewal of the church in America. This commitment to one another, even when it's hard, even when we hurt each other, even when there are differences among us, even when there are cultural and and all kinds of other issues that would want to divide us, when we say, no, we are absolutely committed to this community of faith for the glory of God and for his mission in this place. Now, that's a miracle, and that's the power of God at work. And my prayer is that God's power will be on display at Kingwood Bible Church more and more and more for his great glory 
and for the expansion of his kingdom in West Salem, in North America, and around the world. We long for his power to be displayed in our midst. We need it. So let's pray for it. Would you join me? Oh, Lord, our God, what an amazing um, journey just walking through one chapter um, recorded for us about what happened in the New Testament, uh, New Testament church, in the early church. Now we're in awe of how powerfully uh, you were at work there. But we're also in awe of how powerfully you're at work in our midst today, even now. And we just ask you for more, Lord Jesus. We ask you for more of your empowering presence. We ask you for for greater unity and love for one another and for our neighbors. We ask you for, uh, for hearts of compassion, for a needy world, for those who hurt. We ask that that we wouldn't shrink back when we're threatened and when we feel afraid, that we would be bold in the proclamation of, of your word and your way. And we ask that as your people, you'd give us the courage to humbly submit to your leadership and your lordship. Lord Jesus, we ask for the release of your power in our lives, in the life of your church today. Thank you for these dear friends. Thank you for your good work at Kingwood Bible Church. Thank you for a great relationship between pastor and and people. And I pray for more. I pray just for more unity and more love that would overflow in this place into, into this community. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.